a couple of announcements for you this morning. Um, the Tuesday Bible study will be starting up uh, 6 p.m. at our house at the Hapgoods, and uh, so that will be happening this week, and also the Thursday Women of the Word Bible Study at the Gills at 10 a.m. in the morning. So those two uh, Bible studies are on for this week. In our prayer area, two heavy prayers or sad prayers to share with you this morning. Uh, one is for Phil Scriver and family. Uh, Arlene passed away uh, this uh on, on Friday, and uh, so just to be praying for Phil and family. Phil is doing well, and uh, just appreciate your prayer support for them. Um, Doris Miller, uh, her dad, uh, Andy Schuler, also passed away uh, the last couple of days, and uh, so we'll be praying for Doris and family. Uh, Lorraine is Andy's wife, and uh, keep them in prayer. Any other prayer needs this morning that we need to share? Would you pray with me? Father, we come this morning. We bring Phil to you and ask, Lord, that you would uh, be with him, comfort him as only you can. And in, and his sons, Walter and Dan and his daughter, Alice, uh, be with them, comfort them, strengthen them. Uh, we know that we know that we know Arlene is face to face with you. And so we praise you. We thank you that we can rest with that assurance. Cause the family to rest in that strength and knowledge, Lord. She is face to face with you. And Father, Andy also uh, loves you and is in is face to face with you as well. And we uh, ask that you would be with Doris and Dennis and the rest of the family and comfort them again as only you can with that confidence that the, the God of all creation is has his children with him. It's just it's just awesome to know. And we rest in that strength and that comfort, and we thank you that we can have that. And we ask your blessing over them. This morning, Lord, as we open your, your Word, we ask that you would open our minds and uh, just cause us to uh, grow in, in our walk with you. Take your Word, and, and have, uh, Lord, and, and strengthen us with it. And we commit this time to you. Ask, Lord, that you cause all the distractions of, of the day uh, to be set aside and that we could focus on you right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are continuing in our study in First Peter, and uh, this is our second study in the in the book of. And uh, we are approaching this study in the sense of uh, of living as exiles in the world. And the word for exiles, and it's used here in this in 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 First Peter. The word exiles here has multiple ways of looking at it. You could say uh, living as aliens. And I'm cautious with that one with all the craziness today about aliens and spaceships and all the other cognitive things that people think of. 
But aliens is another word for foreigners. We, we, we don't have any problem when we, we, we think of it in terms of illegal aliens and this type of thing. So that you were talking about foreigners. Uh, we are foreigners in the world. We are aliens in the world. Another word for this is sojourners. People who are on a journey, a destination, and then pilgrims. Again, is, is another word for it. And again, with that same idea, we are pilgrims. We are passing through. We, we are passing through where? To our home in heaven. We are not citizens of the world. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. If we've confessed with our mouth, believe in our heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, then God raised him from the dead, then we are children of God. And as a result, we are no longer in our part of this world. We're no, we are what is in the world, but not of it. And so uh, that picture is, is that we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens uh, uh, in, uh, together and, and pilgrims passing through this world. So, exiles, uh, living as exiles in the world, how are we supposed to live? And that's what Peter addressed. Um, the, uh, the first uh, uh, study last week... Uh, Pilgrims living with resurrection hope. Uh, that's where it starts. We start to, to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We accept it as something that covers us. And we believe in it and we accept Jesus as our Savior. We are children of God. And we are so pilgrims living with a resurrection hope. And it's a hope that we have now, but it's not complete. It's going to be finished or complete when we see Jesus face to face, there's a, a phrase that's become very popular over the last uh, several years, already and not yet. We already have this hope, but it's not complete, not yet. And so that's where we started in this study. Today we're going to live at the, with the, or, or look at the idea of pilgrims called to live with holiness or in holiness. And that's, uh, we're going to be looking at First Peter Chapter 1, verses 13 through 21. And in fact, I, let's read that together now. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with, a, with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, 
so that your faith and hope are in God. So we start with therefore. Okay? And the, the, we have that word again referring back to something that's already been said. We're, we're, this is a response to something, and the, the, that would take us to uh, verses 3 through 5, uh, which was from last week, uh, the core of what we, we shared. Uh, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation already to be revealed in the last time. Therefore, verse 13, prepare your minds for action. Prepare your minds for action. If, if your Bible, some of you, if, if you have, that's the English Standard Version, some of you will have something more akin to girding up the loins of your mind. If, if, and then even in the English Standard Version, it has a footnote, uh, a little one by it, and down at the bottom of the page, it has that interpretation as well. The, the literal meaning of this is girding up the loins of your mind. And the reason why that is important to grasp is this word, Girding up the loins is extremely important to understanding what Peter wants to get across here. When you just say, prepare your minds for action, you know, that's like saying, get ready for a test. You know, you're having a, a, a test on such and such a subject at such and such a time next week. Uh, you know, you, you would study and get ready for it, prepare your mind. This, this picture is something far more intense and so, I want you to get the idea of, of what is being meant. Girding up the loins. Okay, think of, of the way the men dressed in the time of, of Jesus, in the time of Peter when this was being written. They wore robes over them uh, and, and they, there was a belt or a sash around their waist to hold the robe closed and, and, and tight. And if they needed to go someplace in a hurry. You know, what they did was they turned around, they reached back, pulled the back of the robe up in front of them, up tight, and then tuck it into their sash or their belt. And what it did was it freed their legs up to move quickly, and they would run. Uh, you're familiar with the story of the prodigal son and how the father says he ran up to, to meet his, his son that was returning? Okay. Just the fact that the father ran to meet him was, was a disgrace for some people because the son had, had pulled away, spent his inheritance, and he's coming back. Uh, you know, uh, the father should have been ready to reprimand him or, or something to that effect. Instead, he races out. He would have done exactly that. He would have girded up and ran through the, the, the town to where his son was. And revealing himself as someone akin to a laborer. Because this is what laborers would do. They would gird themselves up and do the work that they were going to do so that they could move around freely. 
And so this idea of, of, of pulling the robe up, girding themselves, is the idea that they are preparing for action. They are preparing to do something that is physical in the sense that, that it's, it's more than just standing there. It's more than just thinking about it. It's going to be a, a, a sense of full commitment to whatever it is that's being done. And this full commitment is the idea of, of, of giving oneself over to Christ. Prepare your minds for action. Girding up the loins of your minds. It's a graphic picture for us. Uh, preparing to, to work hard for something. Set your hope fully on the grace Undeserved favor. Grace. Undeserved favor. Set your hope fully on grace. This grace is going to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay. This is a bigger section again. It's, it's, it, it's saying... At the revelation, has Christ been revealed to you already? Do you believe in Him? Have you read of Him? Do you know Him? Is He your Savior? Well, then He has been revealed to you. So there's already a revealing of Christ, but it's an ongoing process. And ultimately face-to-face, which we will not have until the second coming. So this encompasses from now to the second coming. From the time of Peter to the second coming. All of this is being brought to you. And, and you're growing in it and knowing more in it. You've girded your mind. You're researching it. How, what, what would we be studying? Well, we'd be reading the Word of God. And the idea is, is that, you know, we're prepared to, to, we're wanting to see Jesus Christ face to face. We're longing for His second coming. We can join... Uh, Paul in the phrase, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And it's, it's an appropriate thing for Christians to want the second coming of Christ to come. Now, you might say, well, what about my, my cousin, my brother, my sister who hasn't accepted the Lord? That's, the, that's, the Lord's, that's in the Lord's hands. And, and so, what we have to do is, is, what we desire is to see Him Face to face. So set your hope fully on the grace, the unfavored, uh, the unmerited favor, the undeserved favor of your salvation that He has given you. Uh, and, and be ready to see Him at His second coming. Desire for His second coming. And tied to that is also this thought of where will you be at His second coming? And the reason why I say it that way is not that we know exactly where we'll be, but so much as to say, Will you be dancing on the table or hiding underneath it? And not that we're not talking about your salvation. What we're talking about is just where you stand with, with your walk with the Lord uh, on a day-to-day basis, the priority of who He is in your life. Uh, are you going to say, oh, He's coming now? I didn't expect it. Not during this movie at the show. You know, uh, that type of thing. You know, where are you, where are you going to be uh, at, the, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, we, he tells us that we're to be obedient children. And, and we're, we're not to be conformed 
but to be holy. We're to, we're be, we're to be transformed. In fact, uh, Paul uh, uh, puts it in the book of Romans. Uh, familiar verses for you. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Again, that idea of, of, of girding up your mind and, and entering into this effort that by testing you may be discern you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed. That's the same thing that, that Peter is trying to bring across here. Uh, God the Holy One has called you, and He says, "Be holy as I am holy. Holy in all your conduct." It says, "All your conduct." And I put. Uh-oh. <laughs> it's all I could think of to write next to this was, uh-oh. Uh, I can't say that I, that I have achieved that. In fact, probably none of us can say we've achieved that. In fact, I know that none of us can say we've achieved that. And so the reality is, is how is this possible? Through the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not an excuse to be lazy and not pursue the holy things. What it is is an understanding that God is so gracious and He loves us so much that in spite of our sin, He came, even before we confessed our sin, He went to the cross and, 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 and saved us. But holy in all your conduct is the idea of, of striving. There's another word, sanctified. It's not used in this passage, but... Sanctified is the idea of being set apart, becoming holy. It's a process. Now, hopefully, you can think back of when you were not a Christian and some of the things that you might have done on a regular basis without thinking of them as bad, wicked, or evil, but that they wouldn't be honoring to God. And there are things that you might not, you would, would not do today. And you can say, well, I don't do those things anymore. That's, that's a sign of the sanctification process. It's a sign that God is working in you, that you are a changing person. You are going from uh, not being conformed to the world to being transformed. The word transform is metamorphosis. It's a change. It's not just uh, an, uh, an outward change. It's a, a whole change from the inside out. And, and so this picture of, of, of God in the process of making us holy. And so the desire of our heart should be to hold, be holy in all our conduct. And this word conduct is, is more than, again, it's a, it's a bigger word than we normally think of, of, of just narrowing a definition to conduct. It has to do with our lifestyle. It would include just about anything you can think of that you do. <laughs> I wrote down uh, the, the thing that pops into my mind. Driving. 
I recall an acquaintance who was part of a very legalistic church. If you smoked, if you drank, if you danced, if you a number of things. But he always bragged on how fast he could get from San Luis Obispo to Bakersfield. And in order for him to do it in the time that he did it, he had to be going 80 to 90 miles an hour at a time, at some times. He didn't see that as a problem. No, it's, it's, it's every, all your conduct. Okay, as, so let's just put this forward. As Christians, what should we be doing in, in reference to this speed limit? Yeah, we should be obeying it. What if everybody's going faster? Okay, I get that one all the time. If you're down into the L.A. area or the Bay Area and the traffic is going 70 and 80 miles an hour and you go 55 and you're holding up traffic, you need to go to the flow of traffic. By the way, there is, the highway patrolman isn't going to pull you over for going with the flow of traffic. So, they would rather you be safe at that point. But what I'm getting at is, is trying to the best of your ability to be obedient to the law. Paul says we are to be obedient to the, to the law of the land. In as much as it's up to you to be obedient. Now, what if the, the, land, the law of the land turns around and says you can no longer testify uh, about Christ? Okay, the apostle set forward a picture of that for us. You take the risk. You go and you preach Christ and you suffer the consequences of the law of the land. Is there, you know, there's no scriptures that tell us that the, that the apostles, after they were arrested, uh, you know, fought to get out. They accepted the law of the land, even, even to the point of their death. But I still looked at this and said, how impossible. Driving, entertainment, <laughs> I, I put down eating. You know, I thought about it. What would you put on your list? You know, all your conduct. How about every word that comes from your mouth? Jesus says very distinctly, uh, in, in chapter 12 of Matthew, we're going to be held accountable for every word that proceeds from our mouth. Do our words lift up? That's what he calls us to do. Lift up people with our words and courage and, and, and sing psalms and, and, and words of, of, of joy with each other. By the way, not just words to the person face to face, but the words you say behind their back too. You're giving. That's something you have to be able to lay before the Lord. And that's not for me to say what it should be. People say, what's, is it the tithe? Is it this? Is it that? I say you are responsible to, sit, to go before the Lord, pray about your giving, and set a standard for your income that you can afford to give. But... It's all of these things in all our conduct. The thoughts we think, you know, it's everything. He says is to become a sense of holy. 
You are to be holy as I am holy, he says. And again, that's impossible without the grace of God working in us, without the indwelling of the Holy Spirit working through us and changing us from the inside out. Verse 18, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your fathers, not with, with perishable th- uh, things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. I put here, rethink your salvation. Dwell on it. You've been ransomed. The idea of ransom, money to, the, the idea of, of ransom that was tied to slavery, you ransomed a slave when you paid for that slave and, and purchased it you, and, and, and freed it. You ransomed that slave. Okay, that's what Jesus did. He purchased it. Who were we a slave to? Sin. He has ransomed us. He has delivered us from the consequences of sin. What are the wages of sin? Death. But that's not for us. Now, there, instead, we have... Romans 8.1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a powerful thing to see and to know. And it has nothing to do with how good you are, how good you, you know, it, it has to do with your personal confession of faith. We've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. And you know, it says not with not with perishable things like silver and gold. How many of us think about silver and gold as something that's, that, that is perishable? But within the, the framework of, 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 of eternity, it can burn. When there's a new heaven and a new earth, it, 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 it's perishable. We are imperishable. Because of the ransom that Jesus paid to, to get us, to, to save us. We've been ransomed with the precious blood of Christ. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world was the phrase that came to my mind. Not with perishable things like silver and gold, but the precious blood of Christ. Verse 20 tells us that it was, he was, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world. Jesus has always been. He is God. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the Son. He is part of the Trinity. Before the foundation of the world, I, I made me think of, of what Paul wrote to the Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation, meaning He is the one who is the, in line to inherit all things. At the end of times, He is the inheritor. He, that's the idea of being firstborn. It has nothing to do with, 
with having literally been born of Mary or any of that because he existed before that. Okay, so this idea of firstborn is position of, of, of inheritance and, and, and position of authority. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Christ and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And through Him, to, you know, everything has been reconciled to Himself. All things, whether on earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. Foreknown before the foundation of the world. It says here, in, 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 again in 1 Peter, that He was manifest in the last times. He was made clear. He was made, made known in the last times. Galatians chapter 4 talks about at the very right time. Chapter 4, verse 4 through 7. At the very right time, Jesus came. He, he didn't come a second early. He didn't come a second late. At the very exact time that He needed to be here, He arrived. Why did He do it? For the sake of us. For the sake of His followers. For those who believe in Him. Verse 21 of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. Well, let's go back to verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through Him are believers in God. Who raised Him, Jesus, God, who raised Jesus from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. I just want to emphasize once again, it's not by anything that we have done, but what Christ has done for us. God raised Him from the dead, gave Him glory. And our faith and our hope is in God. And I was thinking of the, the picture of this glory that, that was there, uh, just to, trying to catch a glimpse of it. And uh, in chapter uh, 1 of Ephesians, we, we have this prayer from, from uh, Paul. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, that are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead 
and seated Him at the right hand of the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under Jesus' feet and gave Him as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Put all things under His feet. Where, where are we in that picture, by the way? Think about it. By His side. We're not at His feet. He has seated us with Him on the throne. Isn't that an amazing thing? We, what God has done, how He has blessed us, how our future is looking ahead to, what God is going to do in the completeness of our salvation, in the grace that He's, that he's poured out on us. He's ransomed us with the precious blood at just the right time and it was accomplished through the cross. The ransom being the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made. So in all our conduct, we are to commit ourselves to Striving to be holy as God is holy. We have a song that we're going to sing for communion. You know, take my life and let it be. And you're familiar with the song. But not just take my life. It says, then it goes on and says, take my hands. Take my, my, my voice. Take my silver and my gold. Take my will. Take my love. All of what we are. God, take and cause it to be consecrated to You. Committed to You. As we prepare for communion this morning, ask the the worship team to come back up. and We have in the, the trays, again, we're not passing them yet. In the tray, we have two cups together. One has the bread, the other has the uh, juice, the grape juice. We also have the packets that you can pull open, and you're free to choose whichever one you want. We're asking you to come up and to pick them up uh, while we are singing our song. Oh.
the Gospel of Luke, he records the Lord's Supper with these words. And when the hour had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of... Excuse me. The new covenant in my blood. And after he said these things, he said, Take, drink, do this in remembrance of me. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share communion together, to remind us of the ransom paid for us. You came in the flesh. You shed your blood. You literally died on the cross. Your resurrection shows that you have the power of life over death. And because of your victory, you tell us we also have hope of the resurrection. A living hope. And that as we rest with confidence in that, death loses its sting. It loses its power over us because we know that we have life. And we have it eternal. We thank You for Your mercy, Your love, Your grace. And now, Lord, as we conclude this service together, we ask that You would go with us. Cause us to be seeking uh, that opportunity to be wholly turned over to You in all of our conduct. We worship You. We praise You. We thank You. We ask for Your Holy Spirit to work in us and through us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand as we close? Share our final song together.
are blessed. Have a good rest of the day.